0: For a long time, I just thought, you know, I'm really good at what I do and people will somehow know that and show up and pay me. Um, and that's not the case whatsoever.
1: You are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla D'Anagno, a 2015 law school graduate. This episode is brought to you by me. <laughs> Seriously, I'm selling merchandise at shopyouarealawyer.com. That's where you can find water bottles, long and short sleeve t shirts and everything you need to support the You Are Lawyer podcast. So support your favorite lawyer's favorite podcaster and visit shopurlawyer.com to grab some merchandise. So, Michael, welcome to the You Are Lawyer podcast.
0: Well, thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here.
1: Yeah. So I'm really excited to talk to you because you are a criminal defense attorney. Well, you've sold your firm, but we'll get into all of that. Mm -hmm. You were practicing for 36 years. What kept you so interested that you practiced
0: for so long? Well, I like to eat and uh, have a place to live. So, you know, it it certainly paid my bills for many years and continues to do so. A bit of a rocky uh, journey to get there, but I found that uh, doing criminal defense work was really my passion. I feel like I really helped people out. I always took a very holistic approach to the the practice, so it wasn't simply... Oh, avoiding jail or avoiding fines or whatever the, the situation was. But over the years, we made a very strong attempt to figure out what the core problem was. You know, my, my general belief is that most people are good people who um, just wind up doing something stupid or get themselves in trouble usually as a result of some trauma or addiction and so if we can get down to the core of what that really was um and deal with that uh drinking being one of the the big ones uh drugs of course but other trauma um divorce a death in the family bankruptcy all of those kinds of things lead people to make poor judgments and that was why i always felt very good about what i did or what I, you know, and and still do to a certain extent.
1: So it sounds like what you're saying is a lot of like rehabilitation and kind of forgiveness and second chances types, things like that. Was that a part of your practice or that was just your mindset in working as a criminal defense attorney? Well,
0: well, both. Let's take a typical drunk driving case. A guy gets involved uh, in a drunk driving. Now, to me, there were kind of two categories of those. There was the guy who went out with his buddies on a Friday night and just had one too many okay so he's going to have a low blood alcohol probably not involved in a crash and horrified by the event and it's never going to happen again but the the other category is somebody who really does have a drinking problem drinking too much um, on a regular basis and it's beginning to really affect their lives what we want to do is get that person into AA or some other kind of treatment get them into recognizing that alcohol has become a problem again then i can take that to the court and and to the judge and say hey judge you know you don't need to really hammer this guy you know we've identified the problem and now let you know let's instead of sending him to jail let's require him to do you know three or four aa meetings a, a week or whatever whatever's appropriate for that person so it's not just that i like doing it it really benefited the the clients right be able to tell their story and and that's the key is to tell your client's story. Why did they get into this mess? And I, you know, can you ask enough questions to find out what the real problem is? Not what they told you the very first time, but to dig down enough to really find out what the problem was.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm over here shaking my head. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Cause people lie. <laughs> Or they'll tell you what they think sounds good, and that might not be the truth, or it might not be the underlying factor.
0: Right. And and you know, you have you have to build up trust to get someone to to tell you what really is going on. And they have to believe that you're there to help them. And some people, you know, truly don't understand their own problem. And, you know, sometimes it's it's a matter of identifying it. I mean, I I could tell you stories of, of we found people with, with very significant trauma, you know, childhood trauma that were years and years prior to the event um, that just had never been addressed. Mm-hmm. And nobody had ever bothered to ask them, you know, to dig down and really go, why are you drinking so much? What is really going on? Uh, because on the surface, you know, everything looks good. But then when you yeah. get down, there, you find out that they were victim of a sexual assault or, you know, some uh, trauma as a child that just never got addressed.
1: And so immediately after law school, you worked in the public defender's office, did that for a number of years Mm -hmm. before working with a criminal defense firm. What was that transition like?
0: Well, it's interesting because as the public defender, you have way more work to do and money is really not an issue. You know, you've agreed with the county to to work for X amount of dollars. And so um, money is not an issue. When you go into a private practice, now you have to run a a business and you have to be profitable. And, you know, the, the worst thing for anyone is to have a lawyer who's worried about paying the rent. So you have to figure out a way to make your firm profitable you know, run that whole business side of it. And so it it's it's a big transition. And, and unfortunately, law school in particular does nothing to prepare you for it. And there are very few actual resources out there. Now, there's more every day. I'm I'm seeing more and more people who um, you know, sort of in my generation who are are wanting to tutor or help the next generation of lawyers become better at what they do, you you simply cannot be the best lawyer you can be, if you're worried about the money. And so figuring out the business side of it, or whether you should even start your own business, you know, the the truth is not everybody is cut out for being a a firm owner. It's, you know, take the amount of, of billable hours that you have to do for the work and then multiply it by 50%. And now that's your week. It's a lot of work.
1: Yeah. And so you actually were at a top tier defense firm as well. So I'm sure the pressure of that <laughs> stacked on top. Mm-hmm. So after doing that for a number of years, you realize I know enough. I'm ready to do this myself, hang up my own shingle. What was that transition like? Mm-hmm. Even to say, okay, this is tough, all the billable hours, multiply it, but I still want to do it for myself.
0: You know, I would never discourage someone for from considering it, but you have to go in with a plan. And you, first of all, you've got to know why you're doing this. Um, why is it that you want to work for yourself and take on all of those issues? And the risk, because firms fail. And when they fail, that means it's money out of your pocket. And I I know of many, uh, I should say many, I I am aware of firms that literally lose money every month. And at the end of the month, they're basically paying to practice law. Um, That's, in my opinion, because they're not running it properly. The second important part of that transition and it took me a while because for a long time, I just thought, you know, I'm really good at what I do and people will somehow know that and show up and pay me. And that's not the case whatsoever. For me, where things became profitable was when we started to collect our data. When we, be, when we could say, this is how many hours it takes to do the average case. This is the average case value. This is what the acquisition cost is. This is how many leads are coming in. This is how many of them set for appointments, show up higher. I mean, if you know that data, then it becomes a math problem. You just figure out how much you want to make, and then you work backwards to figure out the amount of work you have to do. But if you don't track that, and I work with a number of firms right now, you know, part of my consulting business, and they don't track any of that data. I'm I'm, I'm always shocked. I shouldn't be, but I am. Is like, how are you making that decision? How do you know if you can spend that money, if you don't even know how much money you made, like, so I'm sitting here while I was waiting for you. I'm looking at my bank accounts. I look at my bank accounts every single day. I know to the penny where I, I stand. So I know what I can afford to do and and what I need to save for and such. And You know, the firms that aren't doing that, the the small owners that don't do that, I, I really don't understand how, how they can make a decision. It's a gut decision and it may or may not be right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely look at my accounts every day too. Uh, when I first started the practice, of course it was hard because you're like, I don't want to see it. <laughs> but then it's like, no, you have to see it. It has to be in your face. But also to your point, I actually created like a creator billable report where I log mm-hmm. outlined for a podcast record a podcast. So I know how much time it takes me to do things so I can know what I charge for stuff too. So.
0: Exactly. A lot of People I work with go, oh, well, I do flat rate, so I don't need to track my time. And I'm like, well, because you do flat rate, you would need to track your time even more. Because how could you possibly know if you're charging the right amount? You know, yeah. if you're charging a thousand dollars and it's taking you a hundred hours, you know, obviously that makes no no sense whatsoever. And lawyers are notoriously bad at estimating at how long things take. Yeah, You know, I I think a lot of industries are that way. I have a a friend um, out here who's kind of a handyman kind of guy, and he charges people, you know, I'll I'll put on a door, I'll do whatever. And he's always way off of how long it will take because he forgets about the fact that he's got to make the trip to Lowe's to get the stuff. And then, you know, he's got the wrong screws or he needs to go get a tool. And, you know, and all of those various trips just eat into his time and, and profitability. Yeah, and, and lawyers—it's the same thing. Nothing, very few things run smoothly, right? You, you know, there's always the 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 fly in the ointment, the glitch that just takes more time than you expect.
1: Definitely true. And so, as we're talking, I'm looking at your book in the background, Legal Ease, which is actually a resource that you've written, one of four books I believe that you've published, where you I think actually, actually
0: five.
1: Okay, so that's the fifth, <laughs> where you're actually teaching young lawyers how to avoid mistakes um teaching people as well how to navigate the legal system and all those things when did you decide to become an author and why did you do that
0: so the first four books that i wrote i wrote a book about duis and you know that that whole process i wrote a book kind of a general criminal about the the process i wrote a book about sex offenses which is um what our firm focuses on and and you know, things that people need to know when they're going through the process and to educate themselves. And then I wrote one on, on domestic violence. And all of those books were really educational. We'd give those to clients, so you can buy them on Amazon, but we'd give those to clients to educate them on, on, on what they can expect to have happen. And writing the book is, is time consuming. It was very enjoyable, but it also saved me a lot of time because I could give a client a book and say, Hey, if you have some questions about, you know, going to court, we'll read chapter three, basically went through, you know, what are the 25 most common questions I get? And then that's, that's the book, but Legal Ease was written Because I saw and continue to see lawyers just disintegrate, you know, they, they work too hard, they don't take care of themselves, they're way too stressed. And they're not, again, not getting to the core of what is their issue of what's going on, they haven't they haven't set their goals clearly. Um, They're, they're so busy being busy that they're not actually being productive. And, you know, so I, I, I talk in the book in several places about the importance of sleep. You know, that's one of the things most lawyers act like sleep is completely unimportant. I will tell you that to me, that is the secret weapon. If you're not getting enough sleep, you are not performing it at, at your best. Um, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about like one night doing an all night or, you know, um, I'm talking about on a consistent, regular basis uh, valuing their time. Um, doing work that they shouldn't be doing. I mean, the rule in my firm is that if it doesn't require a bar card, I don't do it. So, you know, because I can only bill for the legal services. I can't bill for running down the staples and getting paperclips, right? I pay somebody to do that. And it it makes sense. But I I see so many people doing all of the uh, administrative tasks that are necessary, but don't, don't, directly bring an income. So, you know, understanding that was really the the focus of the book and then taking care of yourself, diet, exercise, meditation, all of those kinds of things are, are, you know, I promote um, because they they matter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I will definitely link the book in the show notes. We'll also have it shown, um, I'll show image of it on the YouTube channel. So if you're listening to this with the You Are a Lawyer podcast, thank you so much. I do want to let you know that there is a video that corresponds to this podcast episode. Go to YouTube. You can search You Are a Lawyer podcast or search Kyla DeNano to find that. Okay. So, Michael, you said in your questionnaire, you went to law school because you didn't want to get a job. Yes. (laughs) And you have since graduated, on multiple businesses, (laughs) what was it like when you got to law school and you were like, oh, this was not what I was expecting?
0: So we're talking, you know, I graduated from college in 1982 and things were different then. College, I mean, I went to a a Cal State, um, it was a good school, cost me $187 a quarter. So you know, I, I worked in the library and paid for everything, plus skied all around the country. I, I bring that up because we're not dealing with the kind of tuition that people are dealing with nowadays. I went to law school; it was about I don't know seventy-five or eight thousand dollars a year, which I thought was crazy expensive, but relative to today, it, it was nothing. And, and you know, I bought my first house and I refinanced it and I paid off that loan. So. That was a big part of it. I like school. I, you know, I take tests well. I've always been a a good student, so I was interested. It It wasn't so much that I wanted to practice law. I really didn't know what that was going to entail. You know, I went to law school. I I enjoyed the people I met. I got a a law clerk position with a personal injury firm. I really enjoyed that, Um, but I also understood that I needed trial experience to be the lawyer I wanted to be. And that's why I wound up in the public defender's office. And then, as I said, you know, it, it just clicked. It was, it was clearly my calling. And I had a great, I had great mentors. That was the other thing. I had people who, you know, dragged me along, let me see what was, you know, going on, gave me the space to make the mistakes that I was going to make. Um, I mean, I lost my first five trials. I, I think that was probably the best. It wasn't great for my clients, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me, because it forced me to really look at, you know, what am I doing here? And you know, subsequently, I've never lost five trials uh, in a row again. You know, I mean, I, I've I've won five in a row, but you know, it forced me to 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 take to really take account of what I was doing. You know, I think that's the single most important thing that new lawyers need to understand is that you got to play the long game. This is not, you know, you this career takes years to be really good at. You know, you, you some people are, you know, have a natural knack at things, but there are so many moving parts that it takes years. You know, I, I'm still learning. And, you know, I'm 37 years into it and I'm still learning.
1: Do you remember what it was that made you decide to even look towards trials and go into court, right? Because you could have been a transactional attorney where you were just in a big firm doing paperwork and mergers and things like that. Or you could have done litigation and trial experience. Do you remember what made you say, "Okay, let me look into going to court and doing litigation?
0: Well, a couple things. Again, if we um, turn the clock back, uh, you know, I had hair down the middle of my back. I was not cut out to be in a big firm. I had no interest in carrying somebody else's briefcase. In all honesty, I didn't care much about money. So the idea of working, you know, 2,500 hours a, a year for somebody else to get rich, I had no interest in that. I wanted to do what i thought was the right things to do and the public defender gave me that freedom you know uh, of course as a criminal defense lawyer you always have to answer to your client but i didn't have you know a partner that i had to you know answer to and 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 follow their their lead so that was part of what was really interesting for me i got to develop and then you know taking advantage of great mentors of you know sitting and drinking with them and listening to their war stories and going to court and watching them do what they wanted to do and and of course you know for me anyway trial is kind of the the pinnacle of you know being a lawyer standing in front of a jury i mean i'll tell you there's nothing more humbling than doing a, a death penalty case where you are literally begging that the jury not kill your client I mean, that is about, you know, it does there's no more high stakes than that. And, you know, I, that's what I wanted to do. And I got a, an opportunity to do it. Uh, I don't know that I would do it again. I, it would have to be the absolute right case um, because it takes years off your life. It's just, it's one of the hardest things ever, but that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the courtroom, you know, going to battle. And uh, and that was the that was the best way. And I wanted to do it over something that I thought was important as opposed to, oh, you know, this guy needs money or, you know, suing that person. From my perspective, that just wasn't as motivating.
1: Yeah, that's uh, completely valid. So currently you do a number of things. You have the 20 minutes with Mike. You have your website, social media, vlogs, those kind of things. Are those were those created because it's another outlet for you to share all of your experience or do you use it kind of as marketing tools or
0: uh, a little bit of, of both for almost five years, I had a radio show and, and I, you know, I'd talk talked about legal issues and things coming on and interview various people during the pandemic, I couldn't go to the station anymore. So um, we started doing it uh, from home uh, you know, would patch into the radio uh, station. And, you know, I, it was costing me money. And so we started doing on our Facebook Live. And I was like, well, you know, I can do this um, by myself. And then I also realized that an hour show, nobody's going to listen to an hour show, right? So, you know, especially on Facebook or something. So I cut it down to 20 minutes. And then I use, I do use it for marketing and to share, you know, so when I have clients and they have a particular issue, I'll send them a link to one of my 20 minutes with Mike, you know, I, I talked about this. Why don't you listen to this and see what you think? Uh, So yeah, part of it, part of it's the branding. I mean, you know, this is, and this this is the thing I would say for your, for your audience is that, you know, I already said, you got to play the long game and branding is, is the long game, you know? you you just have to be consistently out there know who you are and and let people know that you know who you are so when they contact you you're genuine you're not you know you're not trying to be fake you're not trying to be someone else you're you're who you are and you know like when you do the show people see you right they and and you can't fake it for very long so you know just be be who you are people know if they if they watch my any of my posts, you know, I really care about what, what's happening to folks and, and, and the importance of them taking care of themselves. And, you know, I'm a big advocate of, you know, getting rid of your phone and, you know, having quiet time and taking time to think. There's a lot of different ways to do that, but we're so busy, as I already said, you know, we're so busy being busy, right? That we are missing so many great opportunities because we just don't see them because we got our face in a screen somewhere.
1: No, I completely agree. I'm reading a book right now called Atomic Habits where they talk about, are you in motion or are you making action? And I'm like, oh, a lot of stuff I do is just motion. So that's exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, So Mike, I just wanna, I have two questions for you. This, This question is about barking frogs it's a business that you own with your wife. Are you still doing
0: that? So yes, we, we, we've been doing that. We continue to do that. Um, I'm hoping to put a little bit more love into it so that, uh, you know, gradually I, I need to replace the income, my lawyer income. So that's part of the plan for that. It's, it's race swag. So, you know, events, if you had a running race or, um, you know, some other event and you wanted branded hats and, um, you know, other materials. We do sleeves and and what we call a barky. It's a tube of microfiber. But yeah, we've been doing that for years. It's it's fun. My wife does 90% of the work. I, you know, she's, she's a great artist. And um, so, yeah.
1: All right. Very cool. I always like to talk about, you know, little unique things that people are doing on the side. And then lastly here, Mike, do you have any advice for a new lawyer about, you know, they're within five years of practice, they may be burnt out or they're just over it. Um, any advice for them?
0: Your question is if they're burnt out. Well, so why are they burnt out? You know, not everybody who went to law school should be a lawyer and not, you know, the, the, this is not a career for everybody, just like anything else. Um, if you truly don't feel that this is the right career for you you then you need to ask yourself why what is it about it that you don't like because you might be able to to avoid that or change that piece it was a lot easier back in the day to walk away from a a practice because i didn't have the the financial investment into it nowadays i mean people come out with a student loans that are look like mortgages so more of a challenge which i would say is why you really need to think about why is it that you're, you're becoming a lawyer before you make that investment. But if you know if you're burnout you need to ask yourself why my my first recommendation is you need to read my book. I, I, this is really what I deal with is how, you know, over 37 years I never got burnout. You know, I got tired and I worked my butt off, but I never got burnout. I never I never even contemplated leaving the practice because I knew how to fix the problems and you know, figuring that out, learning how to take care of yourself, learning what your priorities are, really taking the time. And that, and that may require you to go somewhere where your phone's turned off, you have no internet, you know, and you just spend time with yourselves, you know, and, and really think about what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And what's the, what's the problem? What is it that you hate that that's causing you to be burnt out? And maybe you need to make that adjustment. The other thing is, is it that you are not going to be a superstar in five years. It's just not going to happen It this, this takes a long time to learn the skills to be a great lawyer. It just, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that that's the no, I'm actually I'm not sorry. I'm glad that that's the truth. But because most people aren't willing to, to make the investment, the, the single most important thing people should do is read and they should read every single day and it doesn't matter what you read but you need to understand that how you see the world is not how everybody else in the world sees the world clearly half of the half of our country sees the world very differently than i do doesn't matter which side of the fence you are half of the country sees it differently well if you read and you understand how other people react to situations and view situations you were much better prepared to figure out how to craft your message. You know, if you're trying to get a, a you know, a, a judge to do something for you, what is the message that will actually work with that judge? Not is, you know, what do you, what would work for you? You know, what would convince me won't necessarily convince that person. you need to do the research on the judge, you need to know something about them and you need to learn to craft your message. And so By reading just all the time, fiction, nonfiction, you begin to learn how other people think. And it allows you to craft your message in a way that actually will work. You know, the biggest mistake I think lawyers make is they think that they can change people's core values. You're not going to do that. You know, I've never been able to do that. So what I need to do is I need to work with their core values. What is their core value and how do I tap into it to get them to do what I want? Uh, And and that they think it's a win. You know, they think that they're sticking to their guns and yet they're still doing what I want them to do. And that is the skill that takes a long time to figure out.
1: Yeah, I love that. The skill takes a long time to figure out. And then the reading also will help because you're getting all these different perspectives. So exactly. to that point, make sure you get Michael's book, Legal Ease, it's there in the background. I'll make sure I link it in the bottom. And also I do weekly book reviews every Monday on YouTube. <laughs> so I read nonfiction, fiction fiction, biographies, memoirs, everything. So read, read, read. It sounds like that's really important for the practice, so.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, there's great joy in reading too. You know, even if it's just 15 minutes a day before you go to bed, you know, it, it, not everything needs to be monumental. You know, my meditation, I start with just 10 minutes and we'll see how, you know, after 10 minutes, if I decide I want to go more, I will. But my commitment's 10 minutes. My reading commitment is 15 minutes, but I stick to it. I do it every single day, you know, no matter what.
1: Yeah, and that's
0: have- that's how you get progress.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great. Um, Well, thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate this.
0: Well, I've enjoyed it very much. Okay, Great. All right.
1: Well, you have a great day. Bye.
0: Thank you very much. Bye now.
1: Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating, tell a friend about this podcast, and subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.